Welcome to Still Scared Talking Children's Horror, a podcast about creepy, spooky and disturbing children's books, films and TV. I'm Ren Wednesday, my co-host is Adam Wybray, and today we're talking about the manga and associated film of The Drifting Classroom by Kazuo Umezu. Um, a full transcript of this will be available, so check the show notes for that, and enjoy! Hello, Ren. Oi. Hi. Hi. <laughs> um, you excited to talk about some wild manga? I, I, I'm excited and a little apprehensive and overwhelmed um, because the drifting mm. classroom is one damn thing after another. <laughs> it sure is. Um, so yeah, that's what we're talking about today. The drifting classroom by Kazu Umezu uh, from 1970. One to four, I think? Yes, that uh, was the run, yeah. Yeah, um, so that's uh, 11 volumes, uh, I think, <laughs> um, of just, uh, oh, well, um, <laughs> horror and chaos and apocalypse and, um, yeah, uh, all sorts, really. <laughs> yeah, um, there, there, there's, there's a lot. There's a lot. Um, recently republished um, in collected editions by Viz Media, um, mm. which uh, I, I lovingly uh, ordered for Ipswich Libraries. So if, if you live in Suffolk, listener, um, <laughs> you, you can get hold of these from the library now. <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, how did you come across it then? That's a really good point. <laughs> it, 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 pre- it presented itself to me. <laughs> Seriously, I don't know. I, I read it around the time I did my PhD. Uh-huh. Um, I think the second year of my PhD, I read it. So, oh God, I, how many years? I don't want to. How is that like? I don't know. Seven years back? Eight years back? Okay. Maybe seven years back? Something like yeah, something like that. But I don't even know how. Like, I wasn't just been like looking up horror manga. I was definitely already into Junji Ito, so I'd read mm. Uzumaki, um, and had probably scoured my way through all the Junji Ito I could find online. So I, I might have just like looked up best horror mm. manga, basically. Um, yeah. And come across it, and I, I ordered the first volume, and I did actually order them all. Um, I, I quite respectably, I think, didn't just read all the scanlations online. Um, I, I did get <laughs> all of the individual volumes. Um, wow! Yeah, yeah. And it was quite. It was quite. I quite liked having it staggered, actually, and getting to read it in instalments. You know, it is a serialized manga. And yeah. it is a lot to read all at once. I'm sure you experienced. Yes, as I can attest, <laughs> it was it was a lot to read over the course of a week or so. Yeah, 
Yes, well, thank you for doing it and indulging me. Um, well, no, I mean, I, I really enjoyed it, but um, it was uh, it was quite the journey. <laughs> yeah, so this is basically <laughs> Lord of the Flies in the future, but more. And the but more yeah. is capitalised and underlined <laughs> and embossed <laughs> and given a shadow. I d- yeah. I do have to admit at this point that I've never read Lord of the Flies. Oh, oh well. Um, it's it's, it's alright. I read it. It's good. It's, good. Um, mm. it's definitely... It's much more misanthropic, I would say, than The Drifting Classroom. So The Drifting Classroom is yeah. much more wild, much nastier. But you get the sense that Umezu likes kids and believes in kids, whereas mm-hmm. you don't get that from William Golding. Like, it's a really kind of crotchety... It's a bit of a kind of crotchety man, old man waves fist at cloud book. Like, oh, these kids, oh, if you left those boys to themselves, oh, they're just kiddie, oh, terrible kids these days. Ugh, human <laughs> nature. Um, whereas yeah. the interesting thing about the drifting classroom is as much as... Umezu shaking his fist at mankind for bespoiling nature and uh, generally sort of decimating the world. He's definitely mm. pro kids. He definitely believes that kids, uh, mm. you know, uh, have have more more about them than adults. Um, we'll get onto this, yeah. but the adults in the drifting classroom do not come out of it as well. <laughs> no, they sure don't. Um, <laughs> um, so, so the 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 very yeah very briefly it's a. Uh, about a Japanese elementary school which is uh, at the centre of an explosion and is transported into the future uh, with initially 862 students and faculty who uh, very quickly begin to drop off. But um, they have to try and survive in this world that's sort of become a barren expanse of sand inhabited by monsters um, and uh, face a lot of trials and tribulations. And uh, our main character is uh, called Sho. Show Takamatsu, um, and we'll kind of introduce some characters as we as we go, really. Um, yeah, so uh, so Show is a, a boy of spirit. Um, he he's quite steadfast and stubborn. Um, at first, is shown to have mother issues, uh, which is there is a film adaptation, which I'm sure we'll discuss sort of after the manga um, mm. from '87, I think. Yeah. Um, by uh, Obayashi, Nobuhiku Obayashi, who's the same director of House, Houseu, which, if you've seen any of his films, is the only one you would have seen, basically. Um, it's a bit of yeah. a cult classic. Um, the Drifting Classroom film is not a cult classic. Uh, <laughs> even Arrow Video has not put this one out. <laughs> um, but we'll get on to it. But what I will say is... Uh, Show's mother issues are doubled down on troublingly in the film. Um, oh yeah, yeah. But but they're, they're present in the manga. He has a very intense relationship with his mother. I love you. I love you. Oh my dear sweet mommy. Sure. A real kind of love hate relationship. Um, and on the day he is. Uh, he goes to school and and then is blasted into the future. He has a very stormy argument with his mother, um, mm. in which he says, "You know, I wish you weren't my mother." And she says, "You know, I wish you weren't my son." And um, this whole sequence is very fraught. Um, and my stepson, nine-year-old stepson George, finds it hilarious. 
Um, really, <laughs> really funny. Like, he'll cackle at it. I think mainly because... So, show goes in, he's angry because his mum's thrown away all these bits and bobs from his drawer. Like, you know, I don't know, an old, old bone and some gunpowder he's found. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, the, the kind of thing a kid has in, in their drawer. Yeah. And, um, you know, she's thrown it all away. And he's really outraged and angry. <laughs> and she turns around and she's got a kitchen knife in her hand. <laughs> and he's got this great shot, the knife pointed at show. And he says, oh, are you going to stab me? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and the expressions in the dripping classroom are incredible because they're very much all or nothing, and most of the time <laughs> the kids react to everything with this sort of mouth agog, wide-eyed, gaping expression with lots of angry vibration lines around their heads. So it's like yeah. they're in constant states of shock or anger. But on this occasion, the adult is not going to stab the child. But that is the anomaly. <laughs> yes, on this rare occasion, that is not Show's yeah, yeah. plan. But Show is so outraged, <laughs> he then um, pulls the tablecloth off and like throws all the you know breakfast uh, cutlery and implements onto the floor. And what George finds really funny here, which I hadn't really even picked up on before, is that Show's mother seems to only be angry about one very plain-looking bowl that ends up crashing the floor. <laughs> Because he has just wrecked the whole table, and you, then the next time I'm like crouching over this very boring bowl, <laughs> really <laughs> angry. So I guess it was her favourite bowl. Yeah. Uh, um, anyway, she she, um, she speaks yeah. harsh words, which she will soon regret. Yes, we should probably clarify that this is not for children. <laughs> well, it, well, I mean, it is. I mean, my nine-year-old stepson loves this manga. Ren. Okay. Like like. Okay, so it was originally intended for, um, yeah, for, for it's, it's a boys' manga. So it was originally yeah. intended for, I guess, older children, maybe younger teenagers. Um, okay, it's not what we would genuinely, generally in uh, in the UK consider yeah. suitable for children. Okay, I think that's fair. <laughs> so, so yeah, th- 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 this manga definitely really highlights a difference. In terms of, I think, the media that might be considered suitable for children in Japan and the media that would be considered suitable for children in the UK. Take your Japanese and show it. Sure. I would make a fairly strong case for it being okay for slightly older children. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this is very violent. Um, like, it, it's got a very cartoony style, like... I wouldn't quite say that Umezu can draw, but he has his strengths and his weaknesses, basically. Um, hmm. So, you know, he's, he's good at very detailed backgrounds. Um, you know, the architecture of the school was all really convincing. Uh, he's great at monsters. Um, his human anatomy tends to leave something to be desired. Um, <laughs> his characters can be a bit off model, and they're always weirdly stiff. They look kind of like action here. Like, like they don't really have any flexibility. <laughs> like they're never going to bend. Like, okay, like, yeah. like when they fall over, they kind of look like a domino being pushed over. They're just like yeah, 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 yeah. 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 <laughs> um, so they don't quite look like real people. They are very figurative. So it is cartoony, mm. which I think does create. I mean, when I when I sort of questioned 
with George. I mean, George sort of, I, I was reading it and George sort of showed him the argument with Shay's mother and I sort of then put it back and he sort of then picked it up, you know, of his own volition. And I was like, oh, I don't know, George, but, but he was really <laughs> into it. And I was like, oh, all right. I guess it was originally intended for boys your age. Sure. Um, and, you know, it's interesting because he, you know, he certainly doesn't cope with things that are obviously coded as horror. So I had mm. another Umezu collection from the library, which was like creepy stuff. His like it was like Umezu's creepy book or something like that. And yeah. George was like, oh no no no, you know, not gonna read that. It says it's creepy. Uh, he was <laughs> literal and buy the book in that way. Um, but I think he read the Drifting Classroom as an adventure story, basically yeah. a very violent adventure story. But when I said to George, oh, it's a bit violent. He said, well, I have seen. Patrick from Spongebob fall off a really high building and explode or something like that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I guess that's true. Uh, So he gave me a couple of of violent examples from Spongebob uh, to reassure me. (laughs) Um, And in a way, this is no less cartoony. You know, they're human characters, but this is clearly Mm. taking place within a very fantastical realm. And I think what Umezu is very good at is kind of seeing things from a child's perspective Mm -hmm. or getting inside that kind of all-or-nothing mindset you have as a child. Um, There's there's a good series of articles in the Drifting Classroom on the Hooded Utilitarian blog, um, which we can link Uh. link to in the notes. Um, A few years old now, but they, they stand up really well. And one of them is talking about how adults are drawn in the drifting classroom and that the the men are always like barrel chested, you know. Oh, yeah, they're, yeah, they're hulking. They're really big. But that is how a small child looking up an adult will see an adult, right? From a mm. small child's perspective, adults are really big. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I think it is really committed to a kind of child's understanding and vision of the world. Mm. And, and, the the way that the children appraise themselves and see the adult world strikes me as quite accurate. That, you know, the kids do kind of have their own society and they kind of get on with things and they have, you know, lots of... Yeah, say quibbles would be a bit too light in the drifting classroom. <laughs> since, you know, they kind of kill each other. <laughs> but, you know, they don't always get along. But they also kind of see the adult world as a bit strange and incomprehensible and kind of ridiculous mm. um, you know they have to kind of respect and obey out and sometimes they do see them as parental figures but they they, they, they also you know I don't know you know they're, 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 they don't have so many illusions about the adult world I would say what happened to my big game tagger where did it go don't ever lose hope Mark all we've got. Hope? In this situation? What kind of hope can we have here, Taggart? Do you still have hope? So yeah, I don't know. I I do think I do think he gets children. Um so in some ways I mean yeah. yeah. I think it does have it has that kind of um well, that that perspective in children's horror of, you know, you have the, the character who you relate to and who 
who is coping with the situation. Yeah. And so you, you, you can cope. As long as show is coping, you can cope. I think that's very true. And show is so <laughs> infinitely, amazingly resourceful. Yes. Um, and, and, you know, it wouldn't have seemed like this in, you know, 72 or 74, but it's very video game-like in many regards. In terms of its plotting, the mm-hmm. way that it's so obstacle-oriented... And it is yeah. sort of one obstacle after another. And, you know, George has grown up, obviously, playing Minecraft. And mm-hmm. and he, he's generally that kind of kid anyway. You know, he, he he's good at doing things with his hands. And, you know, he likes to know how to do things. And he, go, mm-hmm. he had been going to um, this sort of weekly server on a school day for um, neurodivergent kids. But this outdoor school, basically, once a week, where he'd be, mm-hmm. you know... Um, building fires and riding horses and things like that. And he's very good at this kind of thing. So I think mm. it makes sense that the Drifting Castle would appeal to him because the kids, you know, are very hands-on and get on with stuff. And it's very kind of engineering and solution-focused. Oh, yeah. You know, they're mm. confronted with problems and show will generally come <laughs> up with a way to, to battle that problem. And some lives will be lost, but they'll move on to the next thing. <laughs> yeah. And I think, thinking about it, this is probably why, partly why I found the bit with, um, uh, where Sho has, um, uh, has his appendix removed, uh, the most disturbing part. Mm. Um, is that's, I mean, apart from the horror of someone being operated on without anesthetic, which is obviously, uh, pretty horrifying, but also it's the, it's the one part where Sho is, uh, not in control. Yeah. Out of commission. <laughs> yes, yeah, that's very true. Um, and being operated on by an untrained child, of course. <laughs> yes, yes, by a child. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't know because we can't really. I say there's so much in terms of the plot. That yeah, I think I think should we talk about how quickly the adults go off the rails? <laughs> <laughs> uh, y- yes. So so what adults do we have? It's it's basically all teachers, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and uh, obviously, uh, Sakia, who uh, isn't a teacher, isn't a teacher. He's a, a delivery man and has a a massive chip on his shoulder about this, we're led to believe. Yeah, which is, is, is so <laughs> tragic because the kids at first love him and, you know, they've all called yeah. him like the lunchroom guy and it turns out he's like, I hated that! You kids calling me the lunchroom guy! <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so Sakia is um, is our is our human villain um, who, uh, the adult who survives the longest and causes the most trouble. Um <laughs> But um, initially, um, initially we have the the, uh, the faculty of teachers, and um, kind of as soon as the school realizes that they've um, been, well, initially they think the whole world beyond the school has uh, has been obliterated. Yeah, I think they assume but, it's been a nuclear a nuclear war. Yeah, or something. and so sort of the teachers notice, and then the kids sort of rush out to the gate, and uh, a teacher called Mister Wakahara uh, blocks their exit. Um, and um, they, so there's a kind of panicked rush, and then um, a teacher called uh, Mr. 
Alucaro, um, grabs his own son. Well, you don't you don't even know this at first, right? This is you don't know his own son. Yeah, the fact that his own son is his explanation for why he does why it's acceptable. Yeah. Okay, so he just grabs a child, takes off his own glasses, smashes the glass, and uh, stabs this child in the arm with the broken glass. So, and then he's holding a child who's gushing blood onto the playground with a bloody weapon in his hand, shouting, "Now, would you please calm down?" <laughs> Which, I mean, what's more likely to calm a, a group of? Yeah, it, 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 it's in that? every every teacher training book I've ever come across. <laughs> yeah, um, um, and then uh, uh, yeah, and then this is revealed to be his own son, which makes it. Better? Question mark. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, the teachers teachers don't cope so well. <laughs> yeah, um, and pre- it's pretty soon that uh, that <laughs> that uh, Sekia starts um, saying that he's going to hoard all the food for himself, and uh, then uh, sets. Sets the teachers on fire um, who are around the lunchroom trying to reason with him. <laughs> at this point, Sho is like, I think we're going to have to look after ourselves. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and the kids and do quite, take... quite well temporarily <laughs> restraining Zakir, don't they? Yeah, they, they, they tie him up and, uh, and put him in a locker. Um, and uh, which works for a little while before he manages to uh, gain a, a child's sympathy and uh, trick him into get, letting him out. Um, meanwhile, um, <laughs> Mr. Wakahara um, gets in a murderous rage and kills all of the remaining teachers. Um, he, he gives them fair warning, though. Yeah, he, he does go, tie me up, I'm, I'm, I'm having a turn, kind of thing. And they're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then the guy starts tying him up and he's like, it's too late. <laughs> he's just, yeah, he's like, no, sorry, too slow, yeah. too slow tying me up. <laughs> Crystal Maze escape room failed, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so uh, Mr. Wakahara um, kills him. The, most all of the teachers, apart from Sekia, and um, and then uh, tries to uh, run down the students in a car. <laughs> yeah, across the um, desert wastelands. It's a... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> which is at this point where we get this this first like the first example of two of this brilliant plot device that um, that I'm in love with, where um, <laughs> where Sho uh, is, is um, Sho and Nishi. Um, who is a, a character, uh, a girl who uses crutches, and um, and so sort of show has to help her quite a bit to, when they're during various running away from perils and things. But um, but it turns out that it's kind of through Nishi that show can talk to his mother oh, in yeah. the past. Yeah, <laughs> and I think you know there are some some. I guess outmoded gender dynamics here. Um, mm. Show is generally the one to rescue Nishi, and she is very much coded in terms of her disability. But there is a kick-ass moment where she hurls her crutch through the windscreen <laughs> of the of the teacher's car. <laughs> yes. <laughs> 
Um, she's given <laughs> yeah, like yeah. a whole—I don't know if it's a whole splash page or just half a page. She's given a really big panel of the, of the crutch going through the windscreen, the glass shattering. It looks great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is before safety glass, you know. It's just <laughs> big shards. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so <laughs> Shohanishi um, has kind of escaped to this sort of all the buildings are sort of bombed out and. But um, but they're kind of crawling through tunnels, and they end up in like looking out over like the wasteland from the from a like what used to be a, a high up window in a tall building, um, and um, you know, Mr. Wakahara's behind them, like you know, it's, you know, about to yeah, kill them, bearing down on, on, on bearing show, down on them, yeah. yeah, and then shows like right, I need you know, I need to. I need my mother's help, right? And he kind of, through Nishi, somehow he manages to communicate with his mother in the past. Um, <laughs> and he manages to communicate where he is and that he needs a knife. Um, <laughs> so then we get this great, like, break to the past and shows mother and, you know, everyone thinks she's mad. But she's not. She's just incredible. Yeah, she's just amazing. Show, show's mother's easily my favourite character in the whole movie. <laughs> You're so great. Um, and she's like, no, Show needs my help. And like, uh, <laughs> it's to like break into, finds this building, you know, it's kind of drawn to this building, breaks into this we, we, hotel. We, uh, and she takes one of Show's like 12 other 10 year old or 12 year old friends with <laughs> oh, her. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. She takes, um, what's his name? Um, Shinchi. Uh, she takes Shinchi with her, <laughs> um, and um, <laughs> they, they kind of disturb this couple, like in Fugante, kind of in this hotel room. Get out of like, this oh, room! My son needs my help. <laughs> um, and um, and the, the the security, you know, staff like to kind of restrain her and bundle her out. But then she like goes back in a disguise the next day um, and books the hotel room for herself. And then she's like. Shinji, distract them. I need to drill a hole in this wall and like make sure no one calls security. <laughs> she like gets out her drill and like, puts this, embeds this knife in this wall, so that in the future, show sh- like it just gets like the walls crumbling apart. And he manages to grab this knife and like stab Mr. Wakahara, who falls to his death. Um, which is amazing. And, it, and it's not <laughs> even the most outlandish of show's and mother's plans by a long way. It's not. The, the next one is even better. Um, <laughs> shall we just go on? Yeah, to yeah, that? yeah, because it's amazing. <laughs> it's so good. Okay, so... <laughs> I don't even know how to describe the next plan. <laughs> <laughs> so... Okay, so... so um, so one of the uh, terrible uh, obstacles that they have to overcome is that there's an outbreak of the Black Death among the student population. Yeah, if, if you thought it was bad that they didn't have any food or water or that there were monsters <laughs> around, the Black Death comes back. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> um, so there's a, a student called Hashimoto who um, gets these black spots on his leg and there's the doctor's kid who later does the... Uh, Epidectomy. Who's like, oh, I think he's got the plague, um, and so all the show and all the kids who have been near Hashimoto uh, are, are forced out of the school. Um, 
uh, well, pursued by kids who uh, uh, who want to murder them. So, <laughs> so they they um, they run into the desert and they they think that they also are infected and that they're going to die. So Shona says, "Okay, we should find the old hospital because um, they might, you know, they they've managed to look it up, I think, and they found, you know, what." what the antibiotic is that cures the Black Death. And they're like, right, we should go to the hospital and see if they have it. Um, and the hospital's mostly just a big hole in the ground, but they find a basement uh, which has a mummy in it. Yeah, um, a real-life mummy. <laughs> a, re- a real mummy. That sits up, like in the movies. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> but it's the only sheltered spot uh, for anywhere, so um, they spend the night, they turf the mummy out and spend the night in this sort of basement bunker um and wake up wake up without any fever or any black spots so um they're all right um (laughs) but it turns out that there were other kids who were looking after Hashimoto as he was sick and um they have been infected by the black death um so (laughs) so Sho uh shouts to his mother again through Nishi um, and we need medicine. We need this uh, this particular antibiotic. Um, <laughs> um, um, and so a plan is mummy. born. <laughs> yeah. Right. And the mummy has a scar on its arm. Yeah, the, the mummy has a scar on his on his right wrist. Okay. So it should right? be, it should be hard mum. to find. <laughs> so, so shows mother um, goes on this like epic quest you know she goes to the hospital to try and find these antibiotics she sees a man with a scar on his wrist she's like right that guy's going to be the mummy um (laughs) he turns out to be a famous baseball player uh they go to the baseball game um he gets like concussed by a baseball yeah Uh, after show's mum invades the pitch and yeah, shows mum that <laughs> invades the pitch. <laughs> which which, is, which uh, I think is worth noting because it creates, it gives rise to the most unreasonable murderous mob in, in the whole of the Drifting Classroom. Because there's a lot of mur- yeah, there's yeah. a lot of murderous mobs in the Drifting Classroom of adults and of children. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but normally this is because, you know, they're dying of the Black Death or they're, they're starving <laughs> or what. This case, mm. it's just that this baseball player doesn't make, doesn't, you know, <laughs> managed to make the play, and yeah. they're so angry at this. They're all trying to kill Show's mother. <laughs> and maybe this is an indication of how far society is already degraded. Mm, by this yeah. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so yeah, he gets concussed. Show's mother goes back to the hospital, um, and the staff are like, "Oh yes, he's in a coma," and she's like, "Oh okay." Um, but then interesting. He, she, she, interesting. <laughs> she invades his room, and it turns out he's not in a coma. He just doesn't want to play baseball anymore. <laughs> yeah, there's um, there's a great there's a great um, goosebumps style. It was a monster. Oh no, it was my dog in a mask <laughs> moment where his silhouette <laughs> appears with this baseball bat, and she's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> and she's like, are you going to kill me? And he's like, what? No. Well, look, why are you invading my room? I was just, I'm a baseball player. I was just practicing my swing. <laughs> Um, and then I, I don't know, I've forgotten how does there, there, okay, there's a die? there's a random robber apropos of nothing <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh yeah and he like attacks a child and then he heroically um, because it's, it's because it's so heroic that he's mummified 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, he saves the child, and it's so heroic. They're like, "Yes, we will." Mummy yeah, the him. Japanese government is like, right, better, better turn him into a mummy. <laughs> As you do, um, and so she's like, "Right, great," and uh, sneaks into the basement, uh, cuts open his stomach, sneaks in the antibiotics, sews him back up, show. Bada bim, bada boom. Yeah, what, yeah. <laughs> Cuts open the mummy's stomach. Medicine. Everyone's cured. Brilliant. Um, <laughs> I mean, which is yeah. It's also what makes it hard to do a claim of the week um, <laughs> this week because kind of the whole drifting classroom is one long claim or series of claims, and more to the point, pretty much anything shows mum says could be taken as a claim of the week, except for the fact that mm. they turn out to be right. Yeah. I also love uh, loved that there was like a fake out of ha- this happening for a third time. <laughs> and later on when they're, um, when they're in the old subway station and it's being flooded and like, <laughs> and shows like, oh, right, okay, I'll just like, I'll just call my mum and get her to not, make them not build a pipe here and I'm like alright okay what's she going to do this time and then it's like oh no it didn't work Nishi isn't here (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah (laughs) but yeah this sort of theme of a mother's love being eternal is really important in the drifting classroom Mm -hmm. Um, and I think lends to the sentimentality of the film um, which we'll go on to discuss Mm -hmm. shortly um, but yeah, it's interesting. Like, I did a paper, partly why I wanted to do the Drifting Classroom is I did sort of academic paper on it, um, mm. recently, and I did a, a sort of psychoanalysis of it. So, but instead of inspired by Sigmund Freud, um, it was inspired mm. by Melanie Klein, um, mostly because mm-hmm, I prefer mm-hmm. her. <laughs> I find her ideas more interesting. Um, mm. and the difference between Freud and Melanie Klein was that Melanie Klein did her therapy with very young children. Um, And Klein has this idea of the good breast, bad breast, right? And the idea is that a very young child, an infant, um, they don't really understand their mother as a human being, that just as this provider. And when the mother has milk to give, they see the mother as good breast and all is well with the world. And then when the mother isn't present, the mother's absent, or doesn't have milk, then that is bad breast, and everything's awful. And it's this sort mm-hmm. of switch between, you know, so she's sort of thinking about why, you know, babies are either, you know, gurgling with happy excitement or screaming as though the worst thing in the world's happened. And mm-hmm. so, it, you know, it is this very binarized view of, of things being fine or things being terrible. And it's exactly this kind of logic that defines the drifting classroom. Um, mm-hmm. that, that either everything is celebratory and the mother is present and she can solve everything magically mm-hmm. or everything is devastation <laughs> and the world is over. Um, mm-hmm. And there's very kind of infantile logic and like response to anxiety. Um, and I was arguing um, this maps on really interestingly and neatly to how people, in our society at least, tend to respond to the threat of ecological devastation and climate change. Mm -hmm. So that on one side, you either have the deniers and the delayers who say, ah, no, it's not that bad, or "Ah, geoengineering will probably sort it out, 
or Elon Musk mm. knows what he's doing, um, you know, or and how it's a conspiracy, or well, we just need to take incremental steps and uh, put some policies in place and carbon taxing, or on the other side, the doomer position of well, it's too late, you know, everyone's is all our fate is sealed. There's no point doing anything. Um, Near term human extinction, you know, we're all going to be gone within 15 years anyway. And mm. both ways are ways of not staying with the trouble, to use Donna Haraway's mm. phrase. Like, both kind of resolve the anxiety uh, by collapsing it into certainty. Either everything is fine or everything is already mm. ruined. Mm. It's like, and. It, it, it's like it's not dealing with the slow decline, it's not dealing with the suffering, it's not dealing with adaptation measures or the injustices, etc. You know, it immediately yeah. is, everything's over, humanity's extinct. Like, mm. it kind of disavows the journey. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't accept the process. Yeah. Because even if yeah. that is the case, it's not going to happen overnight. And that's hard. That's hard to sit with. That's that's scary. And so mm. a way of dealing with that kind of fear is to kind of not think about it, is to kind of, you know, throw up your hand and say either, oh, there's no issue and it'll be magically solved, or no, it's too late and there's nothing I can do about it and nothing governments can do about it. Mm. And I think the drifting classroom kind of is quite similar in that logic for the most part, um, although the ending of it ultimately, I think, does say that we should try to stay with the trouble and be adaptive. Yeah, I think I mean, ultimately... Well, that, it, it is sure growing up at the end. Yeah. It's his journey of growing up. And, and <laughs> I think leaving behind, you know, he accepts that he can't go home again, ultimately. Yeah. So does not return to the past. He does not return to his mother. Um, mm. What he does is makes the best of it. He accepts on some level that... The earth is in a state of ruination, but he's still there, mm. you know, and the kids are still there. And so they try to live as long as they can live, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I guess. Mm. Yeah, because it does strike me that the whole of the driven classroom is kind of about anxiety and responding to anxiety and fear. And. Mm-hmm show kind of learns to do this over the course of the because if you compare him to so can you remember the name um of the other child leader or well okay there are two other self yes so there are two other self-appointed leaders there's a Mm. princess or queen yeah um and ottoman and he's very different to show because he in some ways is more harshly pragmatist, but he's just far more pessimistic and far more willing to resort to violence, basically. You know, mm. so Sho will say, no, we've got to keep going, we can find a way to save these other kids. Whereas he'll say, no, give up on them, or no, we should just kill them before they infect other people. Mm-hmm. Like, that tends to be the split between them. Um, and Umezu's definitely on side of Sho. You know, there, there's, there's no mistaking that Sho is our hero here. Yeah. Um, and yeah, the, the Ottoman uh, becomes Mark in the film, um, <laughs> who mm. who is perhaps a more significant character and a more annoying one. Um, 
So, so the film. <laughs> so for some context, okay, the film was um, made with kids from a um, transnational military school, basically. You know, it's a school where military brats go. Um, hmm. So some of the kids are Japanese, some are American. Um, they are generally speaking English, um, although sometimes this is subtitled on screen. Um, and then there are some lines in Japanese. See you later, my teacher. So, here's the plan. Who's great to see the Seven Million this weekend? No, this weekend's out. Again? Mommy isn't. Isn't Mommy, mommy, mommy. Whoa, look who's talking. You're going, Dad, Daddy. Look, he's working his daddy. You have a nice day, Mark. Okay. Don't wait too much again. Bye. It seems like the way kids were recruited for this film was a bit ad hoc. So I read this interview with the guy who played Kenny, um, who's the one black child in in yeah. in the class. Uh, and he says literally the way he was recruited into the film was he was walking to school and a man in a car slowed down next to him and said, hey, kid, you want to be in a film? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and, and thank heavens he actually was a film producer. What are the odds? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but clearly they struggled getting bilingual kids for this film because they're of very varying ages. Um, yes. So they're all. I guess this sort of makes sense because the school, like the the kids of the Dripping Castle, you know, it, it seems to go anywhere from sort of earliest primary school through to, I guess, middle school. Um, mm. You know, the oldest uh, probably around to 12, 13, and the youngest to, like, five. Um, mm. However, the guy playing Mark looks like he's a good ten years older than the rest of them. <laughs> Which would be okay if it weren't for the fact that he seems to have a sort of romance with one of the other kids. Who yeah. looks a lot younger than him? Ayumi! Mark! Hey, Mark, wipe them out at a soccer match next Sunday. Right. You're gonna come and cheer us on again? We're soggy there. If I win again, don't I deserve a kiss? All right. This is gonna be my big game. Mmm, So I think we're inclined not to like Mark very much from the start because he seems like a complete creep, um, which may, 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 may not so much be the performer's fault or the character's fault as the casting director's fault. <laughs> yeah. um, but he's also the only one who's kind of coded as sort of wholesomely all-American. Mm -hmm. uh, so he's, he's a football soccer champ, um, which, which he... Uh, he likes to remind us as viewers at any given opportunity. <laughs> no, no matter how bad the situation gets, the true tragedy <laughs> is that it was going to be Mark's big game. My big game is gone. Everything's buried deep in the sand. Well, it was his. It, it was, was his, his big, big game. game. And if it weren't for the fact that he's been 
teleported thousands of years into the future, he would have got to have played his big game. But alas, yeah. <laughs> um, there's a lot of Mark being very mopey and self-indulgently moping about not being able to play football. Yeah. Um, and an amazing shot where he kicks a football into space. <laughs> Do you want to hear my... my um my drifting classroom notes that are not going to illuminate anything about the film whatsoever. So the, these are the notes that you took while watching the film? These are the notes I took while watching the film. This is the sum total. I, okay, notes. sure, yeah. Okay, right. Here comes the bride interlude. Oh yeah, a time slip. <laughs> Green wobbly legged creature. I hate sand. Trombones and musical medley. Bloody skeleton effect. Watch out! It's fake! It's time magic! Crab creatures. Finally, you will be king, Mark. Gooey xenomorph horseshoe crabs. Children go to the future. They always do. I hope to have your baby someday soon. <laughs> I want to have your baby soon. Someday soon. Yeah, yeah, well, that, that, yeah. that sums up the film pretty well. Yeah. To be yeah. to be fair. Um <laughs> so it may seem like a counterintuitive choice on, on the surface to turn what is a rather bloody horror adventure manga into a sentimental uh comedy romance musical um <laughs> filmed entirely inside an aircraft hangar <laughs> filled up with sand. Mm. <laughs> and that would be true. I can't argue against that. Um, but I really like the damn thing. I don't, I don't really know why. <laughs> um, uh-huh. It's a pretty shoddy production, I think it's fair to say. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, so <laughs> yeah, you're not going to disagree with that. Um, <laughs> so, like, like with the far superior house or house zoo, it has a lot of matte painted backdrops. Um, which I, I tend to be a bit of a sucker for. So a lot of, you know, pretend fake painted backgrounds. Um, they're mm. really obviously fake here. Like, mm. very mm. obviously. I say the whole film was apparently made inside an aircraft hangar filled up with sand. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the the wave, the blue screen is wavering around the characters. Yeah, 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 yeah. Outlines for the whole film. <laughs> yeah, you have to get used to that. Um, yeah. <laughs> And it, it must have been a horrible production in many regards. I mean, the guy who played Kenny said it was quite fun, but I mean, the film's sponsored by McDonald's. Um, and I, you <laughs> yeah. know, I, I, fair play. I think it's quite gutsy of McDonald's to, to, to want sponsorship for a, a vision of a post-apocalyptically environmentally blasted earth. You know, at least, mm. at least that's sticking to their own vision for the future. <laughs> Um, and you do you do get a McDonald's uh, sign at some point in the film. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Um, uh, but well, it's like you know, Coca Cola um, sponsorship in the road, isn't it? Oh god! Oh yeah, uh, yeah. It's quite like that actually. Um, <laughs> but so apparently, the only thing the kids were fed, like the whole catering budget, was McDonald's. <laughs> so this, this was the sponsorship deal, you know. You, they, they they use a product placement for Mackie D's, and they fed the whole crew and cast on McDonald's. Right. So if you okay. imagine a closed set, an aircraft hangar, full up with sand oh. and hundreds oh. of <laughs> McDonald's burgers. Oh. Like the smell must have been wretched. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. Like that alone's a vision of hell. Freaking hell. Right, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um. So <laughs> yeah. So 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 yeah. It's you, you can feel like like maybe not everyone's on the same page with the production. Um, we have one semi-famous actor with Troy Donahue, um, playing the 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 teacher character here. Um, uh-huh. stalwart of many B movies. This is your great Dane. You're telling me that's your dog? He, he's really the kind of only only name actor we've got here, and the kids vary a lot in terms of their acting ability. I'd say mm. personally, I find that quite charming because it gives the whole <laughs> thing a kind of slightly naive earnestness that the kids do feel like real kids, and they're quite awkward a lot of them <laughs> on camera. Yeah. Um, why they decided to make it? A kind of halfway musical. I don't know because it only ha- yes. it only has two musical sections. Yeah, well, there's the here comes the brides. Yeah, yeah, which isn't just is thing. What... They they do they do do a little dance and things at the same time. Yeah, like they're yeah. You know, you've got someone playing an instrument, playing the violin, um, and other kids like banging their hands on the table to create percussion. Hmm. And and then there's a bit with the trombones and yes yes which is a whole kind of musical medley of different uh, yeah I mean it's mostly that camp town ladies sing this song do da do da oh yeah yeah um, <laughs> so, so, so but, then, but then there's other there's other songs yeah layered on top as well yeah so. other sort of Yankee Doodle songs um, mm. as I say sort of overlaid sung at different pitches and registers. Um, Mm. And at different times as well. Um, but yeah, yeah. While 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 they do kind of coordinated dances. Yeah. 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 Kind of. Yeah. Kind of. Um, the rest of the music, however, is excellent. Um, <laughs> it, well, it's, it's the same composer as Nausicaa. Oh wow! Yeah, Miyazaki's early composer huh. did the synth music here. Um, uh-huh. nice. Yeah, yeah. But I don't know. I mean, I I kind of love it because it's it's weirdly kind of I don't know. These kind of seem like characters from like Safe by the Bell or something. Like in a way, like mm. they're clearly going for these sort of teen film archetypes, but then kind of pushed to their utmost limits. So, like, you know, Mark is, like, this sort of jock character, but then he's, like, only defined in those terms. 
<laughs> you know, so he's like constantly shown with this football. <laughs> and, and like, I guess I like the way that it doubles down a lot of aspects of the film. So as I say, in, in the, um, I kind of, it's tricky, right? Because this doesn't, isn't really an appropriate thing to make fun of, but it is also played comedically in the film. So uh-huh. I want to step kind of likely around it, but like, Show definitely has an intense mother fixation in the comic. The film starts with him getting out of a shower naked and, like, kind of grabbing his mother. Yeah. At the very least, harassing her. Yeah. Yeah, it, it was surprising. I was uh, a little yeah. taken aback by that. Yeah, I don't... <laughs> I don't know if it's just to kind of foreground the intensity of the mother-son relationship here. Um, yeah. Um, but everything, you know, like, like the violence certainly isn't dialed up. You know, clearly there is an attempt here to go for a family audience. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but certain of the kind of emotional aspects are dialed up. It's much more overtly sentimental. Mm-hmm. Uh, than the, the manga is. Uh, so there are sort of heartfelt exchanges with Mark saying, like, you know, but I'm never going to be able to play my big game. And then, like, Troy Donahue <laughs> being like, you've got to have hope, Mark. There's always hope. <laughs> How can I have hope here, Taggart? <laughs> um, and they, they, they've tried to introduce a kind of goofy mascot character in this green alien who, who isn't in the film, in, sorry, who isn't in the manga at all. Um, yeah, I don't yeah. know if there, this was like meant to be the McDonald's toy tie-in emotional <laughs> character. If it was, you, he'd have to have a little, little, um, reservoir or container for water that if you, if you squeezed him, he, he would pee because mm. the main thing the alien does in in the film is provide water for the kids which which is great and needed um yeah it's a, it's a little puppet a little puppet thing yeah a little kind of cute puppet thing that wheeze a lot yeah <laughs> uh basically um and dances around yeah likes he likes music um but but it's quite important in the film because because okay in in the in the comic Basically, they spend a lot of time fighting these kind of crab creatures. Um, and it turns out that these are just the descendants of humans. Yeah. So these are humans many, many thousands of years in the future. And actually, hey, can't they just get along? Um, and they do. I don't really get how they do in the comic. Do they just sort of, you know, put their differences aside? I can't... I, I um... The, the, the crab mutants just um, end up I don't know if they're eaten or they just run into the mouth of a giant worm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's not. It's, I don't think it's actually clear what their relationship is to the giant worm. Okay. But, um, so, the, so this is uh, the rare example of some better plotting in the film than in the manga. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so in, 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 in the film, the alien turns out to be like the kind of infant version of one of these crab mm. aliens and it, it goes off happily to meet the other crabs and basically I guess bears good news hey these kids were alright um, yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and so we have a nice scene of uh, Sho and possibly Nishi being um, kind of embraced in a nice big bear hug 
by one of these <laughs> these crab creatures. Yeah. Uh, and then yeah, we have we have. Uh, sorry. No. Um, no, carry on. No. no, no, you carry on. Okay, okay. Um, yeah, I we hadn't mentioned the whole um, the whole part of the manga where it turns into the fly. Um, but, uh, oh, oh, what the body horror stuff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I guess I hadn't mentioned it because I don't even understand it. <laughs> like, I can't. Is it uh, just through sheer force of will? That some of the kids start transforming themselves into kind of hybrid. No, they, they, they eat the mushrooms. Oh, it's the mushrooms, they, isn't it? Sorry, yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. They eat the mutant mushrooms that start sprouting up in the in the school garden. Um, yeah, and then they uh, they they start transforming into the uh, <laughs> into the mutant crab creatures. Um, but before they. Before they get there, like in the fly, there is a moment where they feel euphoric and super-powered and such. Um, yeah, and they're sort of walking around on all fours. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But but anyway, crab, mm. crab creatures and, and children, human children, do make peace. Um, <laughs> and in, in, in the film, and we're, we're left with this sort of bizarre utopic vision of the kids all wearing... I mean, they suddenly look like they've started a cult. Mm. Like, they're all wearing, like... I don't even know what it is. If it's, like... I thought it was sackcloth, but it, it's, like, kind of white. They look like they've made themselves robes. <laughs> and uh, yeah. and this is where you get the line that you, you mentioned at the at the end. Uh, and the sun. About how ch- children go to the future, they always do. No, no, I was thinking of... No. Um, the the Nishi substitute character saying someday oh. I want to have your baby soon to show yes yes and show, show <laughs> looks very proud <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> he, he makes a very I'm the man expression <laughs> I don't know I think that might be the last line in the film yeah yeah I think it is so um. so yeah I guess the kids will be all right. I suppose they've, they've started their future civilization. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's... From what I'm saying... I mean, okay, in some regards it is a disquieting film. You know, there are quite troubling elements to this film. Um, mm. I think this is undercut by the kind of odd amateurishness and... The sentimentality, possibly, because like <laughs> describing it, I feel it should trouble me and weird me out more than it does. <laughs> um, and you know, I think it's partly cultural differences, but I, I think it sort of, it reassured me. Right, reading reading this 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 great. I'll try to send you the link to it, but this interview with. Um, the guy who played Kenny, and he's talking about mm. it, and he said it was a fun film to make, and that all the kids had a good time, and you know, fond memories. Mm. So, so that that mm. you know that that's that's good to read. That it's not like <laughs> it was some horrible exploitative or degrading process to make this film. Um, mm. It is, I don't know. It is a bit squicky. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> But, like, it's also so weird, it's really hard to get a handle on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, 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 
Because the manga's already very odd, but it knows mm. what it's doing. <laughs> like, 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 Umezu clearly is a man of curious ideas. Yes. Y- 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 you know, so, so there's some wild stuff in the manga, but it's very of a piece, right? It feels coherent. Yeah. You know, it's of a piece with itself. The film is not like that at all. Um, the f- the film is one of the messiest things I think I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, um, which is kind of why I love it because it's so chaotic, <laughs> um, and it's always fun when you watch a film like that, thinking, "What on earth were the creative decisions behind this?" Mm-hmm. Um, it certainly doesn't work as a straight adaptation of the manga in the slightest. So if you look at the YouTube comments, you tend oh, to get a lot no. of very angry comments from fans of the manga. <laughs> Um, but I kind of feel like that's people taking the manga too seriously because the manga's ridiculous in the first place. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, at, at the end, the Sakia is actually killed by like the half face and arm of a burglar, where half his arm, his arm and half of his face are in the future and the rest of his body is in the past. <laughs> <laughs> and he managed to propel his arm and half face <laughs> yeah. with a knife into the air to to kill the villain. So um It's high concept. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and while I wouldn't recommend that you go straight from reading The Drifting Classroom to 14. Um, a later Umezu manga. Um, if you want to see Umezu double down on his high concept ideas, uh, that's the place to go. Mm. So 14 is much more for an adult audience. It's more explicit than Drifting Classroom um, and mm. more disturbing, and I think deliberately disturbing. It's similarly apocalyptic. Um, the basic plot of it, which I won't really be able to encounter in any sensible amount of time, but is that genetically modified synthetic chicken meat comes to life, mm-hmm. like put in the plasma pool, comes to life, becomes this creature called Chicken George, which is the embodiment of all animal consciousness. Uh, chicken George has a kind of second-in-command best friend called Chicken Lucy, who is actually a chicken. Chicken George, meanwhile, is a kind of human-chicken hybrid man who wears a lab coat. Um right. Meanwhile, um, the world is ending. Um, things have happened like there's no green trees or greenery anywhere anymore. And no one seems to have noticed until like the president of America is like, oh no, um, <laughs> we're gonna, we're gonna run out of oxygen pretty soon. Uh, we better trick everyone so they don't panic by making pretend leaves out of foil and putting them on all the trees around the world overnight. Um, there are a lot of plans in the in this in this comic, um, but basic basically, lots of terrible things happen, and Chicken George decides to create his own Noah's Ark um, in order to rescue all the other animals who have been so badly treated by humans, uh, who mm. he's going to you know leave on the cursed planet. Um, and <laughs> okay, so Chicken George's logical explanation for why humans are as terrible as we are is because, and he, he does a, you know, totally scientific, like, DNA test to determine this, humans evolved from the Tyrannosaurus Rex, 
And the Tyrannosaurus Rex is the most evil and terrible of all the dinosaurs. <laughs> um, okay. However, despite this, he chooses, ironically, to make his spaceship arc in the form of a giant Tyrannosaurus Rex. <laughs> Which <laughs> seems like the last design he'd choose. But anyway, he fills that up with... Um, with some animals, uh, and then some children do get on board it. Um, they kind of end up making friends with Chicken George, and then they cross into a parallel dimension where it's mostly chicken people, and they find out that the whole universe in which the Earth was contained was actually just an insect, it was a, like a bug. Right. And, and that's, that's sort of the end. <laughs> Okay. If that sounds yeah. incomprehensible, it is much more incomprehensible to read it. <laughs> like, that's me wrestling with some effort, some sense out of what happens in 14. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, thank you. Thank you for your, for your hard work. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so, yeah, if you've listened to this podcast and thought, well, I don't know, the drifting classroom seems a bit tame, to be honest. Uh, it sounds like not very much happens in it, and it's maybe a bit too. Gr- bit too down to earth for me, a bit too kind of slice of life, too kitchen sink, um, mm. then I would read 14. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I just need to go to the loo. <laughs> oh, that, that, oh, that, what, what should we finish off? Because we've reached an hour. Oh, okay. We, take, we need to do Texture of the Week. Oh my God, we haven't done Texture of the Week. <laughs> Disastrous. Um, I, okay, God, I don't even have have any I'll make some noise 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 plasmic alien beings there's a there's a shot of the desert landscape all of these kind of writhing kind of ditto uh-huh. ditto like creatures <laughs> yeah. which is amazing <laughs> like that panel is incredible um so so that would be kind of my outright texture i suppose but also similarly gelatinous uh the textures mm. of the tears Oh. So whenever the children cry in this, their tears look like jelly. Like <laughs> <laughs> they they are they you know in keeping with the kind of um aesthetic of the drifting classroom is it's all or nothing and they don't just cry, they bawl and you know, their whole face streams with these giant gelatinous tears. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Um, my one, which I did, it's quite close to the beginning, but I saw it and I was like, I love this. It was um, uh, quite early on, uh, after the uh, the teachers have been massacred and the the first sort of batch of students have uh, have died in various ways, like some of them fall off the roof and such. But um, they, they bury their dead, and um, instead of because they don't have any incense to to burn on the grave mounds, so they 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 take cigarettes from the. Uh, the, from the staff room and burn the cigarettes on the grave mounds. Oh, yeah. And I just, I just, I just love that image. It's, yeah. <laughs> oh. Well, um, yeah, so I don't know if, I mean, would you recommend The Drifting Classroom? Um, 
I'd recommend the manga. I, I'm not wholly sold on the film. <laughs> that, that, that's fair. But, but you would recommend the manga? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a rump and a half. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we, we, we haven't even touched on most of the plot. <laughs> oh, I know. God, like, there's, there's just not enough time. I know. There's way... Um, you'd have to do, like, ten episodes, to be honest. Like, yeah. Um, you know, there's so much malarkey, so much chaos. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I wouldn't really recommend it to kids, although that's very hypocritical of me since I've been letting my nine-year-old <laughs> stepson read it. Um, <laughs> I say, uh, it is very violent. Um, it is also ridiculous and cartoony. So, like... Mm. I don't know. I think it would really depend on the child as to whether they'd find this disturbing or not. Yeah. I wouldn't have coped with it as a kid. I don't think. But I don't know. Like, I think if if you're listening to this and you're like a survivalist and you and your kids (laughs) live out in a cabin or something and regularly go hunting, then they'll Mm. love this. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um and yeah, I feel like you know, it it's is in black is it black and white, you know, <laughs> which uh, helps. Yeah, yeah, that's true actually. <laughs> the, the graphic uh, graphic blood. Uh, yeah, I think I think it does um, that does help. <laughs> um because it's weird. Okay, I'd more readily recommend the manga to kids than I would the film, even though the film is ostensibly more child friendly. <laughs> the film is clearly aimed at this sort of family audience, but I find the film kind of more troubling <laughs> than than, I, than the manga. Yeah, uh, for what it's worth. <laughs> but 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 yeah yeah it's 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 a wild read, and I've certainly not read anything quite like it apart from Umezu's other manga. Like, <laughs> yeah. Um. <laughs> yeah, no, I um, I enjoyed it. I, I enjoyed it. Um, yeah, I, I got increasingly into it. <laughs> um, just aghast at like what new plot happen next. Yeah, twist. Yeah, yeah. Is going to be served up next. Uh, yeah, so. I think you know. I think when I look back upon my life. At the end of it, I'll think I'm glad I read the dream. I'm glad that was part of my experiences. <laughs> it, it, it's it's not a manga that's easily forgotten. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Hey. Hmm. <laughs> well, thank you, thank you for reading it, and uh, we'll probably do something really low key next time. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah. No. That was. It was. Uh, I enjoyed it, and. Um, yeah, it was di- uh, it was different, different. Yeah, yeah. What we were doing recently. That's true. Um, so, um, yeah. Uh, thank you for listening. Um, uh, uh, <laughs> you can find us um, on Twitter at Still Scared Pod or email us at Still Scared Podcast at gmail dot com. Our um, intro music is uh, by Maki Yamazaki, who was also uh, my Japanese name pronunciation <laughs> consultant, although mistakes are all my own. Um, uh, uh, outro music's by Joe Kelly, uh, artworks by Letty Wilson. Um, 
Yeah, I think that's it. Um, do you have a sign-up for us? Yeah, um, I do. Always have hope, creepy kids. Hope's all we've got. <laughs> See you next time, creepy kids. Bye. Bye. <laughs>